Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, it happened. <laughs> hey, it's uh, finally great. it's finally here after 24 hours of technology. Um, I still don't know what I did wrong and what I did right, but <laughs> something happened. All right. Well, good. Well, thanks for uh, for making. I think that it was um, fun to kind of catch up a little bit last week, but at the end, but we really didn't have enough time to really dive deep into this, and probably won't have enough time to, to really f- have a full blown conversation on on these kinds of topics. But I mean, the idea behind what John and I are, are doing is trying to explore different topics, different things we learn during the week. Um, and then talk about them all, you know, on a Saturday, Sunday, catch up on things and then see if there's, you know, okay. Life lessons is a little cheesy, but to some degree, that's part of it as well. But, um, but when talking to you, it was, it was interesting to hear what you're going through. So I thought, uh, I thought it'd be great for us to all chat. And, and what, some of the things that gave me time to think about this week were, were things and questions that I don't really, I mean, I know, I know you, I've known you for, you know, 30 plus years and there's things that I don't know about you on, on why this conversation is even taking place. So it was interesting for me to sit back and say, well, what don't I know about Chris (laughs) to even have this conversation? I know you write, I I sort of know what you write about, but I don't really know how, how you went from, you know, where you started to where you are now. I don't really know that journey. So I was uh, thinking about that a lot and was curious on, on how you kind of got to where you are right now with this. Those are all dangerous shotgunning beers to medieval Rome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a pretty much a straight line. Okay. (laughs) I'm sure it was. Yeah. With a lot of uh, uh, hills and valleys in between, right? Could have been straight, but it doesn't mean it wasn't up and down. Yeah. Where would I hold on one second? Yeah. Can that be edited out? <laughs> um, That's part of the ride. I I don't even know. I mean, the first thing that I remember happened when I was in third grade at St. James, and I asked a question that the teacher, Mrs. Ray, couldn't answer. And she seemed sort of annoyed that the question happened in the first place. So I, I had decided, or I just came to know, that if I wanted – to understand these things, I couldn't depend on other people to, to teach me. I, I had to go out and find the answers myself. That's interesting. Um, that's that's pretty. It's a it's a pretty early part in your life or time in your life to to make that realization. I think most people probably, uh, well, most people probably don't still realize that today. Let alone um, <laughs> maybe realizing it when they're adults. So uh, so that must have been. I, it probably explains a lot of. Uh, why you know you're you're yearning for learning as well as you know just kind of their your separation between even us being friends with you and and other people it must have been a strange experience to go through watching other people not look at the life look at life that way yeah it was just one of those things i had to learn how to accept <laughs> I, I i think i learned that first like most things at home. Sure. And I was, I've always been pretty observant and I just knew that 
the things that I was curious about, I wasn't going to get any productive help from people around me. So I, I kept a lot of things to myself and just went my own way. Sure. So I remember um, what we, we were just together recently and somebody said a memory of Chris would be, he'd be hanging out and he would be in the corner reading encyclopedias. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, Jack Gallagher's mom. Um, yeah. You know, that, I, I always say yes to whatever people say about me because I don't want the conversation <laughs> to go much further. <laughs> so, you don't want to get into a debate about something that's irrelevant? Well... <laughs> Part of it. Plus, I mean, what's there to say? I mean, if you have a certain reputation, it's how people sure. perceive you, not really necessarily for things that you've done or mm-hmm. ways you try to present yourself. So, well, that's, uh, you know, I'm, and I think that that's what was interesting for me last week when we started this conversation, you know, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew you were in Jerome and I knew that um, you had a deep interest in, you know, antiquities, I guess. I don't know really what you would call that, but just, just about the, the things in the past. And, um, and it was interesting. And I, I was really surprised to some degree that you shared the, um, the article that you shared with us, not because you, just because we didn't really have that type of conversation or relationship as we all grew up. So as you said, you kind of kept certain things to yourself and didn't, you didn't uh, expose other people to that. So I appreciate you doing that for one. And then I found it, it gave me insight into a little bit of some a part of you that I didn't know. And that's what, that's what made me so curious about how you ended up getting so interested in this, this field um, and, and diving really deep into it. So um, along those lines, what, what, yeah, I mean, after third grade, so we kept you going towards thinking about Rome and driving. You've been there how many times now? Um, a lot. I've been back and forth pretty frequently. And I would say that all in all, I've spent um, living there, I don't know, about three years, maybe more. Okay. And that's probably over a course of, what, 15 years um, my first, my first trip there was in November, 1998. Okay. And then uh, I was back and forth fairly often. And then I, I lived there mm-hmm. continuously from May, 2001 into the, uh, say September of 2003. Okay. I was there and I never left Italy. So I was living, I was living as an illegal immigrant in Italy. (laughs) And it only, it came up once in a while, but I was always able to keep my distance from the law, I guess. (laughs) So, but you were working. Well, what happened was I was in New York where I, been in New York for a long time and I had a great job a job that I really liked and I realized that that I had a chance to go to Italy for at least four months and I asked for a leave of absence and 
they didn't want to give it to me, but I I came to believe that you know if 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 I would go and I came back, things would be okay, mm-hmm. that I could return to that job. And once I got to Rome, I realized that I didn't really want to go back to New York for a while. And mm-hmm. then 9-11 happened and everything that I had in New York, including that job, was in jeopardy. Sure. And in fact, uh, the immediate economic reaction to 9-11 meant that the department where I was working pretty much disappeared. Mm. It, it was broken up and then it, it, it was recreated in, in a way that was very different that I probably wouldn't have wanted to go back to that job or, the, or, or to that company mm-hmm. in the changed circumstances. So that actually helped me uh, decide to stay in, in Rome. Okay. And, and so, but what were you doing while you were there? When I was there, yeah, I, I was working. You know, I in in New York, I was working in communications as an editor, writer, mm-hmm. uh, public presentation, public speaking mm-hmm. coach. Okay, and I wanted to look for for the same type jobs in Rome working for foreign companies or the offices of foreign companies in Rome. And what I found was um, Italian salaries are terrible. (laughs) And two, that in Italy as well, after 9-11, I think even more than in the United States, there was a lot of fear and hesitation. So the job market there actually became worse than it was in New York. (laughs) So what I did is I made myself available to um, whoever wanted to hire me. And I actually worked for some really interesting people in Rome. One family that, that I worked for was had some relationship to the king of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So I was working for, for this family, and they, at the time, were based in California. The actual king of Afghanistan lived in Rome. Okay. So when this Afghan family hired me as sort of their, um, I guess I use the term concierge, whatever that they needed to do, I was their local contact. And meeting them was eye opening because they were, they had a level of wealth that I just didn't have any personal familiarity with until I met them. Yeah. And they were interesting and secretive, but very generous to me. So it was, it was, it was, uh, an experience in which I, I had to observe these people and, and how they live their lives in terms of being, learning how to balance openness and secrecy. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's one of those things that you either read in a book or see in a movie as being the type of experience that you have when you when you go abroad and start working. So um, 
And well, and one of the things that I, I realized that do you do you speak Italian or did you pick do you pick it up? Did you pick it up or how did you communicate? Not necessarily with the Afghan family. I'm sure they spoke English, but um, but how did you communicate in general? Well, when I went there, I wanted to. I mean, I I went there on my own an, an initiative. People ask me. Well, how did you go? How did you decide to live there? And how did you arrange everything? Mm-hmm. And basically, I did everything but by myself. So mm-hmm. in terms of needing the language to engage in everyday life, that was a priority. Sure. Sure. And it really distinguishes um, the different types of expatriates who, who live in Rome. I met people who lived in Rome for um, over 20 years and really couldn't communicate with locals in any meaningful way and who lived only within the boundaries of the expatriate community. Gotcha. Which is something I consciously didn't want to do. So... In language, yes, yes. I I, uh, I wouldn't call myself fluent in terms of the way I speak English, right. but I feel comfortable there. I'm, yeah. I'm very comfortable and able to navigate. How, how about, um? so many people, they either live in their hometown or they visit Disney or other states or, you know, Justin travels for work. You know, what did you learn about yourself, you know, not navigating another town? But navigating another culture and really, I'm sure you met great people along the way that we'd love to hear about. But what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about the world? Well, what did I learn about myself? Um, I just, I mean, being in a completely new environment, what I learned about myself is something that I think everybody believes, but once you're in a different situation, you understand it in a more profound way, is how much in control of my own life I could be. Like, I, there was nobody else making decisions for me. Mm. So everything I, I did was only by, you know, some balance between necessity and and personal choice. I mean, one of the things that I knew would be true, but then the way it played out was interesting, is, is when I was there, I was never homesick. I never wondered about what the people who were in my old life were doing, you know, especially in New York. I sort of put that aside, that it, it wasn't part of my present and I'll contrast that with there are people a lot of, oftentimes when they travel or or live abroad have uh, have a loneliness or a feel a feeling of isolation that they can't overcome and I never had that I felt that by making these choices I was negating those negative parts of experience that others, uh, perceive as predominant in in their own experiences. Well, they're they're probably they probably made those journeys and those travels for 
for whatever circumstance, sometimes it's just an idea that they're, they want to travel or the idea they want to live somewhere else, but they're really not, they've never really changed anything about themselves. They just, they just changed the geography and, and didn't really change anything about themselves. And I think that there's, you know, you see that even people who don't even travel in the, in the United States, uh, let alone globally. And I think um, there's just sometimes a fear of the unknown Sometimes it's just um, they think that moving is going to change them when the reality is that they're that's not really going to be what changes them. <laughs> they have to be, you know, willing and, and uh, capable of change for there to be a change. But I, I know what you're saying. I've I, I'm, even though I've traveled, I've been, you know, mostly uh, with people, but I've had moments and situations where especially just even getting on a plane, going to another country by yourself for the first time, those types of experiences were exciting for me. I never really thought about, you know, um, to your point <laughs> about things, uh, what was going on. I mean, obviously I was worried about my family and my kids, but, um, but, uh, but other than that, I wasn't really thinking about anything else. I was just ex- in, enjoying the journey from, I almost got lost in Germany on a train because I had to switch trains in this little tiny town called <laughs> Bunda and nobody spoke English. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure which train I was supposed to jump on. Fortunately, I, I recognized one city on the on the uh, on the header there that I recognized it was only 20 minutes from where I needed to be. And I said, ah, this is close enough. I'm just going to jump on this train. And I think some people might get paralyzed in those situations. But it's just, you know, what was going to be the worst case scenario? I end up in a city 20 minutes away from where I need to be and I need to figure out how to call Uber or a taxi to get in there. You know, it's funny how people really become overwhelmed by simple things exactly exactly and you know i was never you know not just talking about myself but there are just two at least two types of people who can deal with uncertainty and confusion and and others who can't yeah um i had one the first friend that i made there i actually met him before I left and he's, he's a journalist who works in Rome. He's American. His mother is Dominican. So just in his background, he had, you know, that beyond America experience. Mm -hmm. And, and he had said that in his experience, numerous people had contacted him in a way like I had. And they had expressed this interest and curiosity to do, to move to Rome. And he said that I was the only one who ever did it. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, people exclude themselves before even the challenge becomes actual. Well, I think that it goes back to the, when we were texting um, earlier this week and, uh, you know, when, when we were, when I told you what quote I really, uh, or the, the, the line that I really liked in, in the article, um, you know, it's, it's really so much about life is just taking action and it's, uh, you have to be, but, but unfortunately people don't take action for all the reasons we know, whether it's fear or, you know, they over, over analyze why it shouldn't work out or ca- can't work out. And instead of just, you know, sometimes you just have to do, and you'll figure it a lot out along the way, you know, you'll figure, figure it out. Something will, you know, present itself an opportunity presents itself, whatever it is, but it's action that's, uh, that ultimately has to happen. So, 
Yeah, I mean, in all of my um, experiences abroad, I had moments where, you know, life could be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. life could be challenging, life could be, you know, nerve-wracking since I was basically on my own. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if you just keep your wits about you and don't panic and make decisions from the wrong emotions, then things will be okay. Yeah, for sure. And John talks about it a lot when we, whenever we're talking about a topic about, um, it could be anything, anytime you get into the conversation about being uncomfortable, whether it's, you know, um, family stuff or, or work things or just, you know, physical, um, anytime there's discomfort or you're pushing your, yourself outside of your comfort zone, that's where the growth happens. Right. So, um, the growth of, of you as an individual, um, as well as, uh, you know, uh, everything about your life experience grows when you are pushing yourself to be a little uncomfortable and, uh, and it's all about how much tolerance you have to it for that discomfort that alters the experience. So, well, there's a, there's a downside to that too, that I've experienced myself and I've seen others experience is that when you're willing to do something that is unusual, it's not always appreciated by other mm-hmm. people. And I think, you know, so, you know, well, consciously I, or unconsciously, they hold it against you. No, I 100% agree. I mean, some of the things that, uh, you know, some of the things that I think people don't realize is, is and there's these cliches out there for a reason, right? Like cliche, like uh, it's lonely at the top. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, you don't have people that you can rely on and trust um, the, the farther you go up a whatever respective food chain you're on. And um, and there's nobody that's you have as allies. You can't you know you don't have as you know, just in a hierarchy system, there's less people that are like you as you go up the food chain. And so therefore it's it's lonely there. And I and a part of that as ties into what I'm what you're talking about, because for me, you're you're really kind of talking about people being fearful of of success instead of, um, and people are also fearful of failure. I would say most people would say they've experienced that multiple times with, you know, in their life that their fear of failure has changed what they do. But once you overcome that one, that's actually easier than, than the fear of success because success ultimately means that your whole world's going to change. The people around you are going to change because they're going to perceive you differently. You have to transcend, you know, stereotypes, uh, uh, you know, perceptions, all all that stuff you have to transcend and and let go of, you know, you really, what you're saying is you have to let go of whether it be relationships or, you know, whatever is going, you're going to lose to be able to go on the journey that you're trying to go on. That's, that's a very hard decision for people to make. Um, people think, if, why would you be fearful of success? But success changes everything in a way that failure doesn't, or even media, mediocrity. I know, you know, when I was um, younger, I mean, one of the, one of the scariest things that, that ever happened to me was a teacher who we all know had said that that my 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 problem was my fear of success 
and what you just said, how 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 you characterized it, is true. But I perceive it a, a little differently because to me, and this gets back about to earlier what we talked about in how when you encourage perceptions about you that you think may or may not be true, that sort of enlarges them. Mm-hmm. And my my fear of success is that if I were to do something or do something well, there'd be a set of expectations from other people that would lock me into a role that I might not want to be locked into. Mm-hmm. And in terms of... Um, say let's talk about how that affects my time teaching about Rome. I was teaching in college and I, I, I didn't really like teaching because I didn't feel any motivation to one, share my my interest and experience with other people. You know, everything that I had done, I had done just for myself. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of sharing it with others that didn't interest me. And I find too in in teaching and any other kind of sharing experience, when you share something with people who are unfamiliar with it, you have to narrow it down mm-hmm. and sort of package it in a way that it can be understood. Yeah. And and I think the when that happens. You have to you have to become accustomed to seeing your own experience in in a new diminished way, yeah. and, <laughs> and there's no and there's no passion behind the delivery because you're watering it down, and you're just like, okay, we did this, and then we did that, and that was kind of cool, and you it just becomes this really you know, it's unfortunate that that's you try to do depending on the audience the best you can do it articulate that, but it's it's to your point you have to simplify because there's going to be no you know, no context uh, to be able to, to put the, the, put the, the, the story in and uh, that they're going to understand. And to your point, it just becomes this sort of watered down version of your experience. And you're not really passionate about telling the story and um, because it, it's so diminished from what you actually experienced. Yeah. And I found too, it's like when, you know, when I lived abroad, I, I would as much as possible consciously avoid you know, being part of the English speaking or the American community, which is pretty big. And, Mm -hmm. and people seek it out as a place of comfort. Sure. And, you know, part of my choice to leave the institutional world of academia is I met a lot of people there who may have had a certain amount of knowledge that they were very proud of but they didn't have the experience of the things they had knowledge about. Right. And they didn't seem to care about that. And I thought, wow, I, that's not how I am. And I don't want to be, you know, working in a world that from the minute I join, I am alienated from. Sure. It's like, I I just recently saw the, um, Goodwill hunting again with my daughter. She's her first time to see the movie and, and the, the one, the one sequence where, um, 
uh, Robin Williams is is really telling uh, Matt Damon that he could be the smartest person in the world, but at the end of the day, he doesn't know how the Sistine what it smells like to when you're in the looking at the Sistine Chapel, and you know you just those experiences difference between knowing things and experience things as night and day. And, um, you know, I've for a long time had conversations with people about, I'd rather spend my, all my money on experiences and I don't care what kind of house I live in, what kind of cars I have, you know, I, I, I don't care about that stuff because it's not an experience and experiences, you know, outside of your comfort zone and, uh, and, and pushing yourself to do things, in a way, uh, I just recently told somebody that I went to see Billy Graham 15 years ago when I was living in Kansas City. And they were like, well, what were you into the church? I said, no, I wanted to have an experience that I would have never had. And if I was, you know, on my own, I got invited. And why wouldn't I want that experience? Mm. It, it was at a, it was at Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> there was 50,000 people there to see this one guy talk. And um, and why wouldn't I want to experience that? So, um it's just things, you know, the difference between uh, the, like you said, a couple different, I really think there's really only a couple different types of people out there. And most people, unfortunately, don't fall into this category. And, and you really also can't change them and force them to become this person either. There's just no way that they can stomach that. So, well, that's, I mean, that's how I see things. I mean, I, I call myself um, a skeptical optimist. In that I feel, you know, I enjoy life. I enjoy the world. I I enjoy people. But I don't have any expectations that I can really influence how, how other people do it. Yeah. Or how they engage each other or the world around them. And, I mean, I just think, you know, skepticism you know, is a product of, of that engagement, you know, skepticism requires, you know, a history and curiosity about the world that most people just don't have. Yeah. I mean, my most recent experience in Rome, I, I was teaching a study abroad class and I keep telling myself, I don't want to teach anymore. I don't want to teach anymore. And then I occasionally do. And I found that every experience I have becomes worse and worse because I notice how, how, how much the lack of curiosity is embedded in people yeah. and, and, and especially embedded in, in, in younger people who, who just, are incapable of living in the moment because they've they've been trained to believe that it's dangerous and they live they're such fearful people i'm like wow yeah their 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 position towards the the world begins with fear not with curiosity well i i you know how there's certain things in your life that just stick with you, like with the third grade uh, experience you had with the, the teacher. For me, I was taking a statistics class and, and realizing that the bell curve applies to, you know, everything. Uh, you give enough data points and quite honestly, the bell curve is, is, uh, is everywhere. And it's really the 80-20 rule. And so 80%, in my opinion, 80% of the people 
live in, in this world exactly the way you just described. And there's no way to change them from being who they are and how they think. Um, they are locked in. It's really the sort of the other 20% that really have the capability or willingness to try to push themselves to have different experiences. Some of them don't even do that, but nonetheless, they still have at least the capability, but ultimately it comes down to the willingness to really try to shake yourself and, and shake uh, to some degree the people around you. I think that for me, I've, I've had similar experiences being, being a manager in co the corporate world and managed a lot of different people. And I, just time and time again, it's the same thing. I can try to influence and, and guide people through experiences and coach them as much as possible, but only about you know 20 out of 100 are really going to get it. Um, and, and even with that, within that group, there's really only going to be some of them that have cap the capability then to take that to the next level. So it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's really right for all things in the world, but I, I just time and time again, I find myself putting people into one of two buckets. You're either in the 80% group or you're in the 20% group, one or the other. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I agree, but I stopped doing you know, I stopped dwelling on it. I mean, part of me thinks that from time to time, I've made myself a little too isolated from like not not engaging with people who I thought wouldn't be productive to engage with. Mm -hmm. um, and so recently, I I'm not sure how directly connected it is, but. I've decided to create some, some some projects that that make me more open to sharing my own experiences through through writing about them. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I've been encouraged to do in the past and I thought I don't want to, you know, share these things because I didn't think that anybody would care and I didn't think that it was it would be worthwhile in in any way for me to do it like mm -hmm. i didn't see anything beneficial to me mm -hmm. which is you know it's a pretty self isolating uh place to be sure but then you know i have in my own notebooks you know thousands of pages of uh, of writing and part of it is is a, is a manuscript of a of a book that I'm going to develop a proposal for and deliver in the short term. And then, in terms of thinking about different ways that these experiences can be broadcast through podcasts, different kinds of writing. Mm -hmm. uh, different forms of media has really led me to meditate upon my own experience and, and to see if I've only been engaging it from the same direction over and over again. And, and what I found, and this actually came from the suggestion of a friend of mine, and I would normally not take advice but I thought, you know something, I, I need to change myself. And, and I took this person's advice. And, it, and what he suggested, 
actually had beneficial results for me. And I was surprised. Um, and it just led me to develop a new way of, 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 of appreciating my own experience and, and deciding that I could write about it and share it by other means without losing any value of it for, for myself. Well, can, can I ask something? So here's something interesting I'm thinking. I think there's an in and out of both. Like in order for you to present something to the world they've never seen, you'd have to experience it in a way that nobody experienced it to be able to share that. And I almost think of like a method actor. I imagine as a writer, there may be times where you need to get so ingrained or if that's your style of being a method actor, like so saturated in it to where you live at that time, I imagine it would be difficult to communicate with people in your mind that don't live in that time. So I think it's a valuable experience, you know, at, at moments to really have introspection and, and, and just absorb what it's like to live there and communicate and think like that. I think that that can bring things into the world that, that wouldn't happen if you were constantly influenced by things that weren't of that era. Yeah. I mean, and when I look back in, into um, my, my old ingrained ways of, of looking at my work and my own experiences that I want to, you know, present in a way that others can appreciate is by cutting myself off from other people, I was really limiting my own myself. And I think within the past year, I have, uh, you know, returned to things with a new, broader perspective. Um, well, it also, it, it sounds to me too, like you're also, you know, potentially transcending your your own limitations to be closer to having the success that you want however success is defined for you but um you know in, in that you're allowing for whenever you're isolated whenever you're fixed in a certain mindset um you know, this is applying to all of us things just run their course and, and you recognize at some point or, or maybe you don't the limitations that you have in your life because of that and I think that maybe it's uh, it's all part of the process for you to to have more success uh, again, however that's defined for you, by just being open to change. That's that's a big step because most people, especially our age, you see it more and more. You know, uh, the older I, I I get and the more I work with people that are you know in and working with me and getting older, I can see how every year they get a little more stuck in their ways. Um, and part of that has to do with, you know, technology changing and a variety of other things that people just don't want to take the time to learn. But, uh, but nonetheless, this sounds to me like a process you're going through as well. I like that, uh, third brain analogy. Like when two people are in the room talking, there's always, you know, a third thing that emerges that couldn't happen without the conversation. Like you couldn't get to that in your own brain without that interaction with somebody else and something greater than what you both possess can come out of that. I, I've always liked that concept. Yeah, that was so, I mean, that seems like what I had just said about a friend 
he didn't really offer me advice. He just suggested something that I I had somewhat thought about but didn't pursue. And, and I thought to myself, you know something? I will do it even if it's just an exercise that I can say that I did and then it's done. Mm-hmm. But then in actually doing it, I saw how productive it could be. And and it sort of released a new interest in my own writing that I hadn't had in a while. Well, that's exactly the same motivation, I think, for for this uh, you know podcast that John and I have started doing. It's the we have these conversations anyway, <laughs> whether we're you know hitting the record button or not. So why wouldn't we want to um, do that? For me, my motivations is my kids. I want them, you know, they don't want to necessarily always sit down with you and talk about, hey, dad, you know, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that or you need to try this and you need to be thinking of life this way and that way and try to lay life lessons down for the kids. So this is a, another format that maybe maybe they will digest that message um, from a different perspective or come it, from them. It sounds like, or for them, it sounds like it, it's coming from someone other than their dad. And even though it would be the same conversation I would have for them. So for me, my, that's my motivation. And that's why I think that I've been pushing, you know, to, to want to do more and more of these because that's exactly the same experience that you're having as far as trying to push yourself into new areas that uh, can broaden your horizons really. Yeah, well, I think, you know, with, with the kids especially, I think they'll they'll be more interested in hearing a parent talk about themselves than in hearing a parent talk about them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, and it's even better when you have people like yourself and, and uh, John, although it's funny uh, that my kids, how they know John is only one way, which is the, the last uh, 10 years, which obviously we know um, <laughs> we were all different. 10 years ago and especially 20 years ago. So it's funny to see how your kids perceive the people around you when you see them in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. So yes. yeah. go, ahead. go ahead. No, good. I was just going to say, so good, kind of looping this into the, to, to what you were writing and sent to us. So was that the first, uh, first thing you wrote for the, for that? Um, was, I guess it's a web, web magazine. Yes. And the thing is, you know, is I have benefited a lot from taking advantage of unexpected opportunities. And I had heard that the magazine was seeking regular contributors. And I I learned that in a very, you know, indirect way. So I just decided that, you know, now was a chance for me to do, because the magazine, uh, the audience for that magazine has both an academic and non-academic audience. Right. And I always wanted to use my, my specialized knowledge for, for a broader audience. So I saw that as one opportunity to do that. I sat down, I, I, I wrote an article, sent it to the editor, and forgot about it. And I didn't worry about, you know, if it would be approved or disapproved or, or what. And within a week that I got a response that, yes, yes, they want me to be part of their, 
stable of 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 regular writers. And what's good beyond just the you know having an audience, an immediate audience, is I've been looking for opportunities to um, build an audience that will lead to the success of other parts of my work, like this book proposal. And so when this book is published, the audience will exist already for it. So I've been thinking more practically also about how to put my work together. Sure. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, kind of what we touched on in in last week's conversation about then, then, then became your, I guess, uh, struggles or challenges to try to figure out who's the person, what's the persona (laughs) that, uh, that you are looking to make sure is projected. Um, because, you know, in these types of situations, you're, you always have to worry about not just from a image standpoint, but even uh, how, how do you protect your personal life away from certain things? Right. Um, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's writing or business in my, my case, um, who I am at work is not exactly this, the person that I am at home and you have to play a certain part at work at work and sometimes have to be a certain way that you wouldn't necessarily always be at home. Um, so, so that exists everywhere and everything that we do. So, um, but I, but I'm interested to see where you're at with that. And, and, uh, because I know that was what was something we kind of started to touch on before uh, you left the other day. Well, the thing with the, you know, the conscious desire to develop a, a persona as a writer was one having the ability to shield myself from from exposure to people I don't know, mm-hmm. things I don't know. Sure. Um, that's part of it. Uh, but a bigger part was, and it, and it gets back to a return to have a fresh eyes on my own experience, is I wanted to, like, establish a stable position from which to look at things and, and from which to experience, to express myself. Mm-hmm. And I thought that a lot of the writing that I had done had just become too personal, too elliptical that it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't interest other, other people, not, not because what I, not because of the content, but just the way that I was writing about it. Sure. And I thought I, I need to become more conscious as a communicator and that meant developing, you know, a, a stable, recognized way of presenting myself. Gotcha. Okay. So it wasn't really about the, the, the image or the pseudonym or things like that. It was much more about how do you, how do you communicate um, in, a, in a style almost that is connected to that persona? Yeah, I mean, both, both parts are, are there, but the latter part has become more predominant o- over time. Gotcha. I did. Um, there was a, about a two year period where I was writing, um, you know, I'm not a writer by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, writing things and mostly ideas for stories. I Some of them got more developed than others to the point where I thought I would spend, um, you know, a lot of time going in that direction. This was probably early 20s, 22, 23, somewhere in there. And um, 
uh, ultimately didn't really pursue it and at some point just stopped um, writing. But the reason I bring it up is because I got to the point where I actually was created a pseudonym for myself if I was going to continue to go down that road. Um, and it was based off of uh, a character in a book that, uh, that I was, or at least a, a character in a story that I was working on and just used that person's name as, as my pseudonym. So, you know, it's interesting because I, I feel about my, my own perception of wanting to be anonymous and wanting to create a persona that would deflect attention from myself sure. is that it has had an effect that I didn't expect in by giving up that aspect of it in that I became where I, I become more comfortable in writing for myself in a way that wasn't true before. Like I want to write for myself. Like I'm my own motivation. I'm my own audience, mm -hmm. but I'm more willing to, to, you know, make that available to other people, which wasn't true before. You think that's just comes with natural um, experiences and, and maturity in your own process or was it, was it just a decision that you made to say, okay, I'm done with this? Or was there anything connected to age even? Well, part, I mean, I, I don't know age, but I'll say this. Ever since I've, you know, been working as an adult, one of the things that's always stuck out to me is how some people enjoy their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and most people don't, sure. you know. And I'm thinking, I want to have a job that I like doing. I want to be working with other people who like working in an environment that I'm part of. And that just never really happened. And I forgot about that, you know. And then recently, I meaning in the past year and a half, I've been thinking about that more. And I thought, you know, the only thing that really makes me happy in terms of work is this kind of work. So that led to a commitment that, you know, I have, if this is the work that I do, I have to make it my job, not just something I did by myself. Well, that takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot more, um, I hate to use the word courage, but, uh, it, you know, it definitely, not a lot of people are willing to, to do what's necessary to, to find the things and do the things that they really like, um, and love. Um, they, you know, we all, there's a lot of people that get stuck in things. Um, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's, uh, the job might've worked for you at some point, but then it changes over time and it doesn't. Um, but, but most people unfortunately are doing something that they have no interest in doing. They have, it's not a, their passion. And uh, it's just, it's a shame. That got harder for me the older I've become. I was like, wow, this is just, <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. Sure. That, you know, not, not, not just to not enjoy what you're doing, but to be surrounded by people who don't enjoy what they're doing. Yep. So you're in this very negative in environment. Yeah. That you've sort of made yourself an, an integral part of. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, wow, yeah, I, I have to stop doing that. So, you know, so even now, I mean, you know, that 
just having that awareness in a more genuine way has made working for and other people easier, but it's also given me a certain um, um, motivation to stop doing it if I can. Well, it also is a great uh, example for, for your daughter. And, um, and as long as, you know, you're able to do, and I think because you're more interested in experiences than material things, we all, um, you, you, you're making decisions based off of things that will help you have better experiences, not, you know, what kind of, uh, clothes you're wearing or house you live in and all that kind of stuff, which is a very hard decision for people to make sometimes. You know, I, I had a friend in Rome who was older than than I was and he was, I don't even remember how we met. I was just introduced to him by somebody and we just had a lot of things in common. And, um, he had a long history of experience in Rome as an academic. He, he taught, classics and he had been working in rome in libya in greece since i guess the 1960s you know Mm -hmm. and when we would go out in in rome we would go on these long exploratory walks you know and 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 he said to me he said you know as long as i've been here I haven't spent time with somebody who, who knows the city as well as you do. And which was, you know, a nice thing to say. Sure. And, and I wanted to like build on that. And it turns out that we had the same birthday hmm. and, and we had planned to get together, uh, to, to, um, to celebrate our birthdays. And we were going to meet in London and I remember he died two days before that. Wow. And, you know, as he was dying, he, I actually called him shortly before and he had become blind. And um, when he was dying, it was crazy because he, he, he also published poetry. And his wife told me that he was writing he was blind and and he was writing uh these poems the day he died wow and uh so i that was sort of um i i had let that when he died i had let sort of that become a lost opportunity Mm -hmm. where sort of the energy that he provided had disappeared Hmm. Were you ever able to like recapture it in an, in another way, or was it just was it a temporary thing, or was it? Well, I think you know what we've been talking about. My 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 renewed commitment to it within the past year and a half okay. is sort of picking it up again Good. after after uh, after a hiatus. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's sometimes it's almost feels like the losses. You know, you you had somebody who was was around to encourage you to to push yourself or do things differently. And when that's lost to uh, you sometimes forget that it's really right in the mirror. Right. So that's where the motivation needs to come from. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, to me, the hard part was not moving abroad 
the hard part was coming back. <laughs> and that's that that's just consumed so much um energy. I mean, I guess follow up to that. Would you ever go back and would you ever really, would you retire there? Would you, would you, are there things like that in your future you would think? Um, I would go abroad again, not just to Rome, but to other places. If the circumstances were correct in which I could have, autonomy and um, the most productive conditions in which to live my life. Gotcha. Know? Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. Like the older you get, the more you're going to say, these are the, this is the way I want to live my life. Um, when I do have that experience. So look for those, those parameters and hopefully something will present itself. Yeah. You know, and I've, and I've never really found them anywhere, especially in New York. Gotcha. New York is just a a killer. Yeah, it is. I used yeah. to think I wanted to live there, but I I, uh, I enjoy it when I'm there, but I I don't miss it. <laughs> I never I never miss it. Yeah. So you know, I I like to get out. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, John John, you have anything else? No, I I I mean, I think I'm just thinking about that guy. What a great. How did you meet him? That was a great ex- opportunity to meet somebody. Um, he was he was introduced to me by uh, by a mutual friend, and we gradually just became um, closer and closer because we, we lived n- near each other, so we would always see each other on the street or whatever, and then that would lead to some other, you know. Yeah, because ever since I remember, I mean, you always were hitting the streets and. You know, just taking your time to walk. You know, we all—I remember waiting hours for you to show up at places. <laughs> he was just taking it all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I guess that's you know, that's that's um, that's part of me. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think they'll probably be for another time. But I mean, I know that you know you've told me. You know, you've headed out and, you know, planned on headed into mountains and, you know, of all your places you've traveled. And I mean, I can't imagine some of the beautiful uh, walks and amazing people you've met. I mean, I think we could just have fun with the the people you've met. Yeah. And I think it's um, I don't know if persistence is the right word, but the more you're around people you choose to be around even if initially there's no connection the if you're you know open and honest and engaging you know those things happen by themselves yeah so when i um would travel i i wasn't really always like seeking out things but i i always wanted to be open to what was happening around me I find that the more honest you are with yourself and, and people around you, the negative to that is that you do push away a lot of people who just can't 
deal and, and deal with that type of conversation or dialogue. They don't live their life that way. Um, so they, they move away from you, which is fine because you don't really want them in your life anyway. Um, but then you do, you do kind of cut to the quick, the people who are interested in that type of dialogue. And, um, and so it's just, you're building on a, the more honest you are with yourself and the people around you, the, the more you're building on a strong relationship um, for the future. Because you're not, you're not just a, a version of yourself, you know. And I think the, the the exploration of like being like an explorer and the journey creates, you know, situations that you're destined to have. I mean, that guy you won't find in many corners in New York, no matter how many people are in New York. You know, that was meant to have an impact on you and being an experience for you with the time that you had with, you know, that's going to alter your course and hopefully you know one day you'll have a chris in your life um that watches and is inspired by how you live your life and write and your passion for it and i mean those things are just special well you know there's i don't know i don't i i haven't really said this to anybody but i had an experience um when i was in rome just a few months ago that i may have mentioned this before but i'm not sure is a friend of mine in New York who I actually met in, in, in Rome and we became very close friends. He killed himself last year mm. in New York, not, not far from where I live. And I had been in touch with him right up until you know the end. And I was just sort of surprised because, well, I wasn't surprised that he actually killed himself. I, I knew that that... I didn't think it would happen, but when it happened, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, but I, when I went back to Rome in the summer, I, had saw, I actually started dreaming about him that I had never done before. Hmm. So it took going back to that place, and I just feel like that, that, that subconscious reaction to being back in a place where this good friendship had begun mm -hmm. was, was saying something to me that I'm still thinking about. Wow. Processing even, you know? Yeah. Because he, you know, he had been dead for a few months by that point. And, and I think I was, you know, with, with the discussion of our larger body of friends, how everybody had a different reaction to it. Mm. A lot of, the energy for me at least was you know needing to exchange words with other people that may not have been you know or in response to other people that hadn't let me focus on it myself gotcha and when i was in rome um the, the crazy the crazy thing about the um the dream, one of the dreams was that we were having this conversation and, you know, we were like physically, you know, together, but I knew that he was dead. So I knew I was talking to this dead person mm. and, and I said to him, um, you know, if you had the chance, would you choose to come back to life? And he said, no. Wow. Whew. That's 
It's kind of heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I just woke up and I'm like, what the fuck is this? What what just happened? Sure. <laughs> am, am I? Gonna... It's like beyond and world like, travel happening inside my head. Right. Yeah. It's uh, and and we're now at that age where you know we're starting to see. You know the people around us. Uh, you know, obviously, with your parents, and and uh, then just even like Karen Grant and other people our own age, and um, so people uh, moving on, and it's uh, it brings all that to the surface pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, and in ways, you know, just it's just interesting to have a dream and and to not know what's happening in your own subconscious so yeah. so 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 that you're surprised by things yeah if you let yourself be surprised about them sure so wow yeah um well good well i i uh appreciate you giving us a over an hour catching up and talking about this stuff um we could probably sit here for like three hours and have a conversation <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm actually, uh, you know, one of the things that surprised me, well, sup- yeah, I'll say surprised me, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, what, what, rev- what, um, what a writer reveals to themselves about themselves as mm-hmm. they write. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, um, I didn't understand when writers or artists would say that, you know, their audience would see things in their work that they didn't see themselves. Right. And I thought, how can that be? You know, you know, what, what, what are they talking about? Sure. And, and, um, at, at a certain point, one, one of the things that, that encouraged me, was, um, you know, the few people who would see things that I wrote would say things about them, ab- ab- about my work that I hadn't thought about myself. And I thought that was a sign of, you know, maturation in, in, in myself, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of this, this, uh, this more this greater level of expressiveness that had than had been true before do you think that was connected to any sort of um willingness to to do something or i guess let go in a way because sometimes it's a it's a control issue right like what do i want to give up and what do i want to hide um you know was there any change in that part of it for you or was it just something that was just natural progression of writing i think that i think it might have been you know how, you know, uh, you know, in in the beginning, I'm not sure if 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 it was self conscious or not. Mm-hmm. But over time, once you see it, or or once you d- develop a new habit or a new perspective, then it builds on itself over time. Yeah. So it gets it gets layered into, and you don't even start to see that you're doing it. Right, it's just a part of what you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. uh, the, the, the song, um, you know, I'm a big Pearl Jam fan and the song Alive was written as a as a pretty depressing song. Um, but he he in an interview not so long ago, about um, 
said five, six years ago, he had said that the audience changed the way he felt about that song because it was a very depressing song for him as he wrote it. But the fans reacted to it in such a way that it, it changed his mood about the whole entire song. And now he loves the song. He finds it lift, uplifting and um, because for him, it was a very depressing situation that happened. And the audience didn't really take that as as literal. And they found it very optimistic, uh, the lyrics, and, and they reacted that way. And he didn't write it that way. But that's the way that they've reacted to that song since it's come out. So it's changed the way that he's even uh, likes to perform it. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I can understand that, 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 uh, that phenomenon. Yeah. Cool. You know, something else too, though, is how it's not only seeing something that you didn't consciously intend to do. The other part is what I would listen to artists or writers talk about their, their work. And, what they thought that they were expressing that readers just didn't see at all that, (laughs) that, that, that they totally missed. Right. And how, and I, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, it's like, all right, I, I'll, I'll take this person at, at their word and, and I will see what they were, you know, how they put together a story how that expresses what is sort of invisible to other people. And, you know, it's not always convincing or you're not always able to to recognize it. But I have found out that when you write about things that are of interest to yourself, you're telling a story in a way that, you know, for instance, if, if, if you're writing a narrative about some group of characters or, or some nonfiction group of people, you can identify them with them in a way where you can't directly be part of the, the narrative. But the way you c- create it is how you are involved right. with it. Sure. And that's it's an interesting did i mean do you feel like though when if if you were to see it you know an artist or hear an artist say that they their intention was x and yet the audience didn't really get that um is that a is that an issue with the audience is it an issue with the the, the artists um is it neither <laughs> is it just a, a part of the process and sometimes people will get it and sometimes people won't at least not the intended consequence or a little bit of everything um, I think that, I think that an artist is, is most successful when they don't put any expectations on their audience. Sure. Yeah, I agree. So, I, and and I, th- I don't think it applies to just artists too, by the way. I think that it's, it's for communicators in general. I think the, uh, you know, the responsibility of the message being delivered isn't on the audience. It's on the communicator right it's the person the, pr- the person who is presenting has to recognize hey how how do i need to deliver this message in a way that the audience will connect to um but sometimes with the with the understanding that no matter how you present it and communicate it there's an opportunity that some of that audience will never get it and you just let go of that reality mm-hmm. and and the re- you're not as focused on the results you're focused on the process and what you're trying to accomplish versus um, you know, so fixated on the, did they understand exactly what I, I was trying to 
to, did everybody, and that's the other part is, did everybody understand what I was trying to, you know, get there? Yeah, and it, you know, it's funny, it's how people, you know, they can misunderstand something or, or misinterpret it, and they're, they're just, you know, not getting it at all. But then it's hard to know, like, where to draw the line between um, letting letting what you want to communicate settle in other people's, you know, minds and then saying, no, there's a certain point where, no, you cannot just right, right. any any response you want and see it as legitimate to sure. what I'm trying to do. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if it's, you know, some of what you're talking about is very um, concrete. <laughs> there's not, you know, there's not gray there, so... Yeah, so you know, I'm actually working on a story now that the more I work on it, the more my my own motivation for writing it it becomes encoded in it. And I think, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, how that will be received if it will just go unnoticed or if someone will say well wait a second right you know is he writing this because you know it says something beyond what's on the page like about about him or is it just you know a story that he's detached from so right well i'll be uh interested uh, eager to to read that that sounds interesting (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it's changed on now. I mean, that's something that I was actually doing on Friday that I'm looking forward today. Yesterday was just, you know, a, a lost non non work day, but I'm I'm really um eager to get back to it tomorrow and then finish it. Hmm. So, because act, you know, actually the longer that it's not finished, the, the more it changes and loses sure. focus. Sure. So I just need to finish it. Gotcha. And, and and then just be very comfortable with the idea of whatever form it takes in the end is not the only way that I I I've I've known about the process of creating it. <laughs> where 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 is that gonna show up? Is that something you're trying to get published or something that you're working with? you know, one of these magazines now? Um, it's something that uh, I promised to somebody. I see. And I was supposed to have it submitted already, but um, when my mom was sick, I just couldn't, because I had to travel a lot back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I just became too busy to finish it. So I just put it aside. Gotcha. And then within the past um, two weeks, you know, I had contacted a magazine just so I could say, all right, they, they expect it. So I have to do it. <laughs> right. And then I thought, well, I'm, I missed my deadline. Maybe I can just blow it off. <laughs> and then I thought, you know something? I just have to do it because... I spent so much time and I just want it done. Right. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot of the things that you're doing, you know, is really not just the material, but even the, the intention is really for you, which is such a great motivator when you're doing it for yourself and you're not sure 
you know, somebody wants to publish it and there's other people who want it. But at the end of the day, you're really motivated by what you want, which is a great place to be, in my opinion. You know, I I have a question, though. Sure. Um, and, and this gets back to to, you know, the reception, you know, once you put something out there, how it's perceived. And the article that I sent to you two, mm-hmm. you know, deals, you know, it comes across as a very, um, uh, I, I'd say a, a pretty smooth way of c- communicating what could be seen as an academic topic. Sure. You know, and my thought in doing it is that I want to, um, you know, use that knowledge, but present it in a way that's more, as I said earlier, about finding, you know, a broader audience. And what I found is that when, you know, people who have read the story, if they're from, you know, an academic background, if, if they teach in college or whatever, is they say, you know, the information was solid and the presentation was good, but I didn't like all of the non-academic touches to the, sure. to, 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 to the presentation. Right. And then when I talk to people who are not in academia, they say, Oh, the, you know, they, they mentioned the, the non-academic flourishes as being engaging as, as like what kept the move, what kept their attention, engaged in the article right and i just hadn't really thought that there would be such a difference of you know that that would be such a point of differentiation between different parts of the well i i I can confirm that that's exactly the way that i felt i don't know if john felt that way but i definitely you know there were times when i was like this is a little over my it, it out of my depth, you know, with the, with the academia part. Um, and, and so it was at times not necessarily intimidating. It was just sort of like, okay, let's, let's get, you know, let's get back to the, uh, <laughs> the different parts of it that were more engaging for me. So, uh, but I, cause, and again, I, I confer, I'm actually confirming exactly the experience that you're, you're saying there, cause that's exactly the way I felt. Yeah. So I, I want to, you know, move more in the, direction of uh finding a way like i found a a new challenge for for myself in thinking more about how to move that sort of off balance presentation more in the direction of um the broader audience and 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 less you know less heavy heavy you know undigestible things to some people yeah again if you're if if you want a broader audience i think that's definitely the right approach because it will it will engage more people that in some cases might be intimidated by the lack of understanding um and it might you know stop reading because of that but yeah well part is 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 me is sort of my disenchantment with with academia is how they talk about things cuts people off from the thing it sure. doesn't bring them in right and um and it was just inter- what, what was really interesting is how 
you know, just the just the suggestion of that style irritated academics. Like, like, no, we need to talk about this stuff in in a in a certain way. Sure. You know, I think what's interesting is, I mean, to bring back third grade. You know, I think if if curiosity changed the course of your life, why not write in a way that creates curiosity? You know, it, it's it's not all about um, knowing everything and the facts and references that, you know, people wouldn't necessarily be able to connect. I know, you know, when I speak, you know, I can't I don't have mind blowing, you know, new conversations about what possible. Mine is trying to find the simplest analogy you know, to be able to connect with somebody with something they know to let them into my world just a little bit mm-hmm. to try to make their world a little better. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think that's, uh, I mean, beyond all the stuff we're talking about, just that skill and that challenge of, you know, integrating uh, facts, history, academia, and um, just, whatever it takes to tweak curiosity. Cause so many times we have so many different things on how we're going to make things happen. But if you simplify it to, am I creating curiosity here for somebody who's reading this for the first time to want to know more about Rome or maybe to, to grab another book and open up about a name mm-hmm. saw and see about this person you're talking about, you know, I think you'd be, you'd be, um, you know, giving, you know, credit to your, you know, to your third grade self. See, I think that, that is a good point and that's something that i've set as a goal for myself is that you know um what i believe is that what i want to do with this writing is is to start is to is to start it with um prompts for people to do something that Mm -hmm. that they're not getting Mm -hmm. the whole thing from me Right. It, that is that I can mention a person or a book in passing. Sure. And it might seem that I'm leaving something incomplete on the page, but what I really want, what I'm consciously doing, is not giving enough information that they're like, "Oh, I have to go." If I really care, I'll go start on my own. Sure. Yeah, you're empowering them. And I think um, some people don't want that. <laughs> they well, want I mean, the whole... Mm. Well, I mean, you have so many... The people have so many tools to... You know, why... It's kind of like the... You know, Albert Einstein didn't know his own phone number because he didn't need to store that information in his brain. It could be... It's in a book. So if you use Google or whatever search engine to your advantage to let them... You know, leave it... Make it intriguing enough to want to... The audience to go, okay... Hey, who was so and so? Where is this? That sounds pretty interesting. I want to do a little research on that. Um, and to me, it's, it's it's perfect for the times. It's 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 really in many ways doing what I don't know whether you're. This is totally the the, the motivation here, but you had talked about trying to take the past and infuse it with the present, and whether you're realizing it or not, you're also infusing it with the future because the future is technology right saying how can we use the the, these technologies to help us complete the story in whatever way then the audience wants to complete it Mm -hmm. it's individualized yeah because you can even hyperlink i mean all that stuff could be hyper i mean people could go down a rabbit hole with your articles you know what i mean like you see something you hit a button and you're 
you know, whatever, in a whole other world. Well, that's world. how I used to be as a writer. It's like I, I would see something that would maybe be like a minor point or just something mentioned and then, you know, the in a digression and then the writer would get back on their main point. And I always liked that. So my challenge, you know, I just wrote a review of a, of a concert, like some that I get asked to write concert reviews uh for for uh you know baroque renaissance era music Mm -hmm. and i found that i've like submitted these reviews and a lot of times my personality gets edited out by by the editor sure and i purposely put you know phrasing um that might look clunky or 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 awkward, but part of that is a style that's meant to people to stop and notice it. Sure. So it's not meant to be, you know, completely smooth journalistic writing that you're just supposed to take in. But they, you know, the style can create these prompts that, that draw attention to, to themselves and that and that require further action by the, the reader so when i see that 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 those things are being edited out it's a mood killer sure you know so and i want to avoid that in my own work you know i mean plus the other stuff's more important to me this is just um fun to do i get a free ticket to a concert i want to go to and you know <laughs> so right it's a it's just a way out you know it's a... i i didn't you know i didn't know how interesting writing was or could be you know this conversation really makes me think that people write a sentence and use words to make me read it again sometimes you know just to make sure that the sentence was formulated right or i mean it's neat to think that there's or just like if there's a painting with brush strokes or a guitar lick i don't even realize is happening in a song you know how much a piece of art uh, writing an article is and and just all the different skills you can have to en- engage uh, a reader that you'll never meet you know just because of words and letters you put on a piece of paper it's it it makes writing very exciting it is but then you know if it, if it's miss you know if you're you know the motivation behind your structure if it's misunderstood and they say look at this I have to clean clean this up in 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 order for it to make sense. Mm. There's like there's this mis this misunderstanding at a very fundamental level. Mm. So, right. So so they actually filter it for um for popular writing styles. So I mean, editors think that they know what you know how mm. to use. Yeah, that that would be like taking a painting or a song and like you know. You know, changing it. Yeah, which I mean, people, you know, people do all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I like, you know, um, and maybe, maybe we can, you know, end end on this note and then pick it up when we talk again, when I, um, when I send you something new that you might be interested in. Um, I like looking at um, works in progress. So you get to see at the end the process by which somebody put 
work to, to, together. And that can be listening to demos of music or it can be, it, it can be, um, reading an author's notebook where they're actually thinking about what they're mm. writing. So, so I think I'd like so, that. So they're talking about the process of, of creation in a way that makes you see the work in a totally different way. Um, mm. my, my favorite example is Tennessee Williams, who, 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 who cracks me up. But if you look at the way that he, he wrote, you know, he, he's known as a playwright. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes his plays would begin as short sto- as sh- short sto- 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 stories. So I was I was always interested in this area of his work where he's not seen as particularly interesting or or important. And, but once you to do that, you realize that the story or, or the play, which is world famous. Every version of it, if it's in his notebooks or in a piece of fiction, prose fiction, or in a letter where he talks about it, the story's always changing. Right. And, but to him, it's not. Like every, every level of expression is part of the story that, that, may or may not be present in the final version that is known by the mm. you know larger audience but for him it's still it's it's a part of the process and and be part of the, the the story itself that just is not seen exactly it's part of the process where he's like working through an idea but it's also that in his brain he has a larger sense of of the story yeah itself That's you know and mm. um, and I'll say this, you know, about dreams and dead people, is 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 <laughs> is, is, is about two years ago, and this sort of stopped me and like led me think about, um, led me think about what I wanted to do myself. Is I had read tons of Tennessee Williams and. I had a dream where I was sitting in a lecture hall and now I forget if I was in the audience or, or if I was leading a lecture, I think I, I was like in, in the audience and somebody was knocking on the door to, to the lecture hall and I went and I answered the door and it was Tennessee Williams and he <laughs> said, um, don't stay here, come with me. I'm, I'm, I'm having a party and I, and I want you to come. So I go to Tennessee Williams parties and over time I realize that all the other guests at the party, except me in Tennessee are characters in his work. <laughs> and what he is, what, what, what's bothering him is that, the characters aren't always behaving in the ways that you're familiar with. And he's trying to like exert more control because usually they're not all together in the same place. Sure. 
And I'm thinking, wow, I'm I'm at a party inside Tennessee's like subconscious. <laughs> well, what would be what would be really interesting is if is if the characters were were versions of the character in the notebook writing that did not become part of the final story, right? That, and that's how they were acting out. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's 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 true. That's a big part of it. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, this is like this is insane that yeah. I'm here mm-hmm. and, and like he he can't he can't control them and and he wants me to help him do that. Well, I was also thinking the other side, which is how you say, you know, how people perceive things like, you know, what if they people read his characters and perceive them differently than he intended and that being a frustration of him as a writer? Well, I mean, the thing is that his most famous uh, creations, they become so famous that they become like a, a cliche. Right. And they're open to parody. Like the Simpsons did, um, uh, if you've seen the Simpsons, when, when they did Streetcar Named Desire as, as a musical. No. And they totally mangled the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's how it will be revealed. Yeah, so it's <laughs> right. like, you know, it's, 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 it's a parody. It's like, you know, what if a streetcar named the, the Desire, which is like a really <laughs> weird story about, you know, what's happening in someone's home is made fit for Broadway. (laughs) So, well, yeah. uh, Well, beating on your wife isn't, isn't made for Broadway. Uh, well, maybe not back then. I mean, now it's just, you know, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, just, just, I just remember that dream. I, I thought, wow, you know, just not even knowing what to make of these things mm. that happen when you're sleeping. Well, I just, all I know out of this conversation is I can't wait to, uh, to do, do something to figure out how to get in your dreams. Cause I want to be in your dreams. They sound, <laughs> they sound pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I, I don't know if, if I'm in, 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 in inviting more, I mean, there was a time in my life where I didn't want to go to sleep because I, 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 I didn't want to dream. <laughs> Those must have been uh, in intense moments. No, I, I've, I've had my my share of those moments as well, but uh, <laughs> fortunately, that hasn't been recent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I actually have to go to a party next week where the editor whom I promised the uh, story to will be. Mm-hmm. So I have to finish this thing this week. And uh, when it's done, I can uh, send you guys the um, the final version. And then maybe we can talk about, you know, what was happening beyond the final version. Sure. Yeah, like your most creative process notebook. Yeah, I mean the problem. That'd be cool. I mean, the problem. Something I'm I'm fighting about is that, or fighting myself, is I write a lot and and then I lose a lot of things. You know, it's like I have so much paper. I'm like, oh my god, where, where did I write this? Mm. <laughs> and then I have to sort of recreate it. So I have to develop a better system of keeping track 
of um, what my work. And I think by we got we got something here. It's a computer. <laughs> <laughs> it just came out. Just <laughs> we got something we're using here. It's pretty good. You know, I actually well, the thing, well, one of my you know, it's funny you mention that because I think one of a conscious step that I've taken that's very productive is not using a computer to write. Yeah, I imagine there's something to that. Yeah. Everything is um, in longhand. Yeah. And they I, probably have writing tablets now, but I mean, I don't know if it captures what that feeling is because you could definitely see something special about it, obviously. Yeah. it's It's got something. Yeah, and I, you know... For people can be skeptical, but it it makes you because when you're, in my experience at least, when you're struggling as a writer, you 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 can always type. You know, you 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 can just keep typing. You know, right. right. Um, but if you're doing it in longhand, you you can obviously keep writing. But I think typing is easier than actually holding. Uh, you know, a, a, a pen and I've written, I've written a sentence before and, and like three sentences have come out and the third one ends up being the one I write. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a wild process. Yeah. So no, but plus, you know, um, but that's, that's a good point about the, the computer as the memory, but the problem, you know, the second problem with a computer as a writer is that you don't lose things. Like you have everything, mm, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> so, not everything's meant to be kept, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and then like you sort of become focused on what you have, and not you know, not in creating more stuff. Well, you know, there can almost be a, a double a double thing going on. You could snap pictures of them and just keep them as picture files. But then really, if you know, you can always have it there if you need to look for something you lose, but you could still live off the paper version and just keep what you keep. But the other one is just in case you lose something you want. Yeah. I, you just t- take the picture and it's, you know, or scan or something real quick. They have quick scanners. I mean, you can, you know, <laughs> you know something. I don't mind you usually losing things because if, if it's worthwhile, you know, it. if it's not, it's the mm-hmm. loss. Um, but I have I know somebody who who will you know their system is to um, once they've built up a certain amount of, of handwritten work they'll make a photocopy of it just to have it you know since you mm-hmm. know, they've gotten to a point where it's it's pretty developed and they're just trying to have that as as insurance mm-hmm. but they're always going to work on the on the handwritten copy. Hmm. So I don't know. I'm like still figuring how to get more <laughs> organized, but I just find, you know, every choice you make has, has dimensions to it that you only learn over time. Yeah. All has its own pluses and minuses, no matter what you do. Yeah. So, well, cool. Cool. Well, thanks again. It's been uh, this conversation probably was better than not better, but d- different than I expected it to be. Um, I expected it to be a good conversation, but uh, I really uh, probably learned more about you 
in 90 minutes today than I've have in the last nine years. So. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. So, all right. Well, good. We're looking forward to, um, you know, reading the next uh, piece of work and then we'll uh, catch up after that. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you later. See you. Bye. Right. Catch up.